Welcome back to .NET Rocks. This is Carl Franklin. And this is Richard Campbell. And uh, we're still here, man. We're, we're here. Are you here? <laughs> well, it's finally officially when this show publishes, it'll be end of summer, right? Like September 22nd. It's been a long time. Yeah, it has. Or is it March 453rd? I think it's March 453rd. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't seen you in a long time, my friend. Yeah. But this is the longest I've been home in 20 years. Yeah. And you know, too. I've told the joke over and over again. It's like, I've been jet lagged since 2001. Right. It may have actually been true. It's starting to wear off now. Well, like after two months of being home, which again would be the longest time, my sleep jumped up in quality, like a, yeah. a, a good 20% according to the Fitbit numbers. Oh, I and, went to bed uh, at eight o'clock last night and I got up at like, <laughs> you know, one o'clock and then went back to bed at four o'clock. That's just so strange. I never do that. Well, I've, I remember when you were experimenting with multiphasic sleep. Oh, you were doing God, the dark things. years. Oh, yes. Yeah. So, so, <laughs> there's, some, there's some jokes in there somewhere. Oh, my life was a joke back then. Uh, it was crazy. It was something. But, yeah, it is interesting, isn't it? And, yeah. you know, we normally have like five, six shows in, in advance in the can all the time. Right. So, if you go on the website, you could see the upcoming shows, but we're just not doing that anymore. Right. You know, every week or so, uh, we record a couple, and, and so we're only just ahead. Yep. Yeah, that's true. And I like it. It's kind of enjoyable. You know, what's funny is that I, I have so many memorable quotes from you, just being your friend for so many years. And one of mm -hmm. them is, you know, every month or so, my wife looks at me and says, don't you have somewhere to go? <laughs> Why are you still here? Why are you still here? <laughs> I want the house to myself. Yeah. Go like, away. Is, you, is your boyfriend suffocating in the closet? Is that what this is about? Like, just let him out. I don't know. <laughs> so, I mean, uh, hopefully your marriage has blossomed in this. Uh, uh, it's been really great. But also, she took off up to the coast for a week on her own. Because I am a good lot. for her. So, yeah. but that's, so, you know, that's always been true. We've always had vacations together. She goes off somewhere with her girlfriends. I go off with, you know, my pack of troublemakers. Like, uh, that's always that. been true. And, and those things, a lot of those things aren't happening right now. So, you have to make them in different ways. Yeah. And, you know, people need their time apart. It's just oh, the for way sure. it goes. It's yeah, what yeah. healthy looks like, right? It, it sure is. Yeah, but it has been great. If she wasn't married, I'd try and date her. I'll tell you that. <laughs> She's pretty cool. That's just saying. That's a really good compliment. You like that line? Yeah, yeah that's that's really nice. I'm going to try that on my wife. Okay. And she's going to say, shut up and do the dishes. <laughs> <laughs> You're not fooling me, Franklin. You're not fooling me. <laughs> All right. Well, roll the crazy music because I have something you might be interested in for Better No Framework. All right. <laughs> What do you got, dude? All right. So, this is a product called YOLO. Oh, yeah. I've heard of this. Have you heard of this? It's sort yeah, of... Yeah. So, you've been using for live streaming this uh, Black Magic... Yeah, the A10 Mini Pro. A10 Mini Pro ISO, yeah. which is the current version of that. Yeah. yeah. The A10 Mini Pro is like 500 bucks. The ISO version is like $1,000. Yeah. This is a thousand... multiple streams. Yeah. This is a, a, about $1,000 as well. Maybe $1,100, this YOLO thing but it it's completely self-contained uh streaming thing battery powered in one uh in one thing that's uh, it, it's thin it's, it's got a yeah. monitor it can 
do the streaming live. It can take two HDMI inputs plus a USB camera. Uh, and it has network uh, availability, and you can stream directly from it via Wi-Fi to, you know, YouTube, Facebook, uh, Twitch, Twitter, whatever you want. And uh, it's battery powered, so it can just essentially f- you throw it in your bag, and you can do live streaming, yeah, remotely. Yeah, super portable. It's hard to. I mean, the ATM is tiny too, but it's just another thing, right? Uh, the, and this is really in the, the YOLO is in the form factor of the, all of these fancy HDMI screens that have recording built into them. Like I've got right. one of those as well. This is even more than that. But you know, the, the secret of all these new switchers or breakthroughs and they finally came to recognize that the whole SGI thing, the sync, the, the time synced camera stuff. Yeah. Nobody cares. Right. Yeah. You know what? You know how you fix having a bunch of M- HDMI cameras plugged in and, and mixing them together? Drop some frames. Nobody yeah. dies. It's okay. Right. It's true. And but so in, it's so much simpler. What I like about this is that it is a monitor. So you don't right. need to have a separate monitor and it does titles. So you don't have to pipe titles in from a computer. Yeah. If you wanted an all in one solution for streaming that you can just throw in your backpack, this is it. It's pretty it's good. Pretty cool. Yeah, I, I'm however, I'm still a huge fan of the Sling Studio. They're still selling them, but all mm-hmm. I, I also found that the best thing for Sling Studio isn't to use like uh, high end cameras with these, you know, three hundred dollar uh, Wi Fi things that go on top of them. Just use phones. I found used iPhone seven professionals, or what do they call them? Seven iPhone seven plus. Anything past iPhone 6 has the high-resolution camera. So, I found an iPhone 7 Plus online. You just go online and look for them. There are places that sell these used cameras. Right. For a couple hundred bucks, right? Yeah. And now you've – and you can use those. You download the uh, Sling Studio Capture program, and you can use those via Wi-Fi as cameras for your four-camera shoot. You can have up to four of them with the Sling Studio. Nice. So, I'm just a real fan of that, especially for people who aren't computer literate. You know, they have a they have a club, they have something that they want to, you know, a nightclub or, or music venue or something. They just want to get it done. They, they're not computer literate. This is the stuff. Yeah. No, anyway. I really, I buy, I buy that. It's absolutely the case. Good stuff. All right. So, who's talking to us today, Mr. Campbell? Grab your comment off a show 1637, the one we recorded back in May of 2019, back when there was time. Uh, with Rob Richardson, <laughs> and we were talking. Did I say that out loud? I should have said that out loud. You did. Um, yeah. Uh, remember the before times? Yeah, the before uh, times. Rob Richardson <laughs> did a great show with us talking about containers and oh, Istio he was so and Kubernetes and just this whole modern microservices architecture. And if we're going to talk about Dapper, you know, we're headed down that path. Right. Uh, without a doubt. And this particular comment comes from Kevin Eaton. Uh, admittedly, a year ago now. And he said, I started listening to this episode and I heard the letter regarding proprietary lock-in to vendors when going serverless. Mm. I had the same fear when I was converting one of my services that was in Docker, but rarely used, just a sort of glorified form mail handler. I found a framework called, plainly enough, serverless framework mm, at yeah. serverless.com. It allowed me to write my code without worrying about vendor-specific calls. I put my AWS credentials in the environment, created a new project, let the service framework take care of the rest. If I wanted to use another provider, it's just about updating the configuration. The code doesn't change at all. And I hope that helps. 
you know, I'm like, yeah, absolutely. You know, we're starting to think in terms of this portability between clouds and, you know, not being too concerned about all these things, but also minimizing the infrastructure we want to own. Right. And Kevin wraps up by saying, I hope this helps. Although I spend most of my time in Go and Elixir. Remember Elixir? Oh, great and, language. And one of the reasons he says Elixir is in large part because of the show you did on Elixir that also landed me a .NET Rocks mug back when that was a thing. Wow. And I still listen to every one of your episodes. Keep up the great work. Cool. Awesome. Yeah. Well, Kevin, now I'm going to hook you up with a copy of Music to Code By. And if you'd like a copy of Music to Code By, write a comment on the website at .netrocks.com or on the Facebooks because we publish every show there. And if you comment there and I read in the show, we'll send you a copy of Music to Code By. And definitely follow us on Twitter. He's at Rich Campbell. I'm at Carl Franklin. Send us a tweet because you never know what stream you're going to end up on. <laughs> you never know. You never know. And boy, that's, you never know. That should be like the, the catchphrase of 2020. Okay. You just never know. Yeah. Or do you really want to know? Yeah. You don't want to know. That's more like, you don't want to know. 2020, you don't. <laughs> 2020. <laughs> oh, we're sorry. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You can have that one back. Okay. So let's introduce our special guest today. His name is Hai Shi Bai. And he is a principal software architect at Microsoft, working on innovative projects across cloud and edge. Mm. He's been coding for over 30 years and has been working as a software professional for 23 years. Uh, Haishi is a believer in continuous learning and open knowledge sharing. He's authored nine cloud computing books, and he's been a volunteer teacher at high schools for four years teaching programming skills. He's the co-creator of open source projects such as OAM and Dapper. That's D-A-P-R. And Haishi, uh, the only, th when I heard Dapper, the first thing I thought about was D-A-P-P-E-R, Dapper, the O-R-M. So maybe you could disambiguate that from Dapper, D-A-P-R. Right. Uh, first of all, thank you for having me here. Um, yes, actually, I remember in the first version of our website, we had to add a link at the top. This saying like a dapper is not that dapper. Um, yeah. Right. Yeah. We're not it, that dapper. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. And then essentially they, they are totally different things. I mean, there's just yeah. coincident. So this ain't that. Let's put it that way. Right. You don't want to know. Yeah. And, and that's important when we're doing a podcast because people hear Dapper, they don't necessarily know how it's spelled, but your Dapper is D-A-P-R. So tell us about your Dapper. Right. Um, so this Dapper thing uh, started about, I think, two years ago, maybe close to three years ago. So at the moment, I was working uh, for uh, under Marcus Slovich, uh, Azure's CTO. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, we were in the incubation team trying to do all kinds of crazy stuff. Mm -hmm. um, so me and my colleague, uh, Jan Schneider, uh, we were discussing uh, different ways to help uh, developers to write distributed applications. So at the moment, we, we, we observed, uh, Kubernetes was taking over the world. Mm -hmm. uh, we had our own uh, service fabric, um, technology that is broadly used inside, uh, Microsoft and .NET communities. So our thinking is that if we could come up with something to make those, uh, developers to write, uh, platform agnostic applications, 
meaning they can reason and design their applications independent from the underlying platform of choice. Um, because we, uh, we, we saw a lot of existing uh, distributed runtimes or programming models, they are quite opinionated. Basically, to adopt certain model, uh, you have to adopt everything that model mm-hmm. offers you. For instance, if you pick an uh, actor framework, right, you have to write your code exactly as the framework laid out for you. Sure. Yeah. And what we think is about, well, how about we give some flexibility to the uh, uh, develop, uh, distributed application developers? We give them necessary capabilities when they need it, but we stay non-intrusive. You can just bring in the things you, you need along the way, and you don't have to use any other pieces if you, if you don't like it. Right. So every piece doesn't require that you use every other piece. Right, precisely. For instance, we have certain uh, building blocks such as uh, state management, service invocation, uh, actor placement, etc., etc. You can use them uh, together, or you can just choose to use any pieces. So I, th- I think that's what makes Dapper kind of unique uh, compared to others. We try to be helpful, but not like very dictating how how you should do things. But if you want to take a step back and look at the big picture, like if you could, if somebody talked to you in an elevator and said, what's Dapper? What would you say? I mean, there's so many things that it does. You know, how do you boil that down into one paragraph? Well, to me, if I only have one uh, second, I will say Dapper is a capability delivery engine. That that may be a little abstract, but essentially that's what it is. So we we create this little engine that gives you the capability you want. You can imagine this, right? Let's say you you want to have let's say the state capability. You may want to save the state on cluster. You may want to save the state to a local computer server somewhere, mm-hmm. or you want to save the state to the cloud uh, somewhere. But when you design your architecture, all you need is to save the state. You really don't care where and how that state is saved. That's an operational That's right. concern, right? So right. this is exactly what we're shooting for. We give you those abstract capabilities, and you can worry about how that capabilities are delivered to you later during operation time. And you can reconfigure or even dynamically rebind it to different environment as you need. But in my applications... Where I save the state is one line of code in a particular space, in a t- particular spot. Usually, I'm handling an event that has happened where I realize the state has changed. Like, that's one line of code. What? Why do I need a, a dapper to handle that? Right. The, the, the benefit of dapper is that it shields you from underli- underlying technical choices. For instance, let's say, uh, let's continue with the state example, right? Let's mm-hmm. say if you, you have an application, you need to save some state. Let's say the application is running on cloud. You may have chosen to use, let's say, Cosmos DB or SQL Server to save that state. But when you take that to the edge, you want to run on, on a little Raspberry Pi, mm-hmm. maybe you don't have access to those cloud services anymore. But right, in this right. case, you can dynamically reconfigure your application to you say, I use a local Redis cluster or I use my local file system. So, but okay, but isn't that what interfaces are for? 
Right, precisely. Uh, but when you when you when you buy into an interface, right, you usually you are bound to a particular uh, programming language or per particular um, paradigm of writing the code. What we are we are doing is right. We encapsulate those um, uh, capabilities as a sidecar. Okay. So we're really talking about a, 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 a cluster here where you have a Docker container. You want to attach a sidecar and to that container and, and your thing attaches to that uh, as a sidecar and does all these things, you know, at, the, at a more abstract level. Right, right. So when we actually, when we run on Kubernetes, uh, that's precisely what's happening. We inject our Dapper sidecar into a pod. So it's always available to you. Uh, but we also support uh, Dapper running as a separate process. So okay. you can set up the timer as a, like a daemon or a service and it's uh, available on your device, for instance. So does this sound like a tool that I want to use in a brownfield scenario? Like I have a big old glob of SOA. We're having scaling problems. We're trying to take advantage of the cloud. So I introduced Dapper as a way to start peeling off some pieces and make them more microservice and not have to convert everything at once? Right. I mean, the... The gradual adaption is definitely how we envision the user view use Dapper. Right. Uh, like I mentioned, we don't dictate you to use everything Dapper. You can just choose whatever makes the most sense to you at the moment and use that piece. So then the question is, what pieces do we want? Like what what are the what are the what what are the things that go into Dapper that are important? You talked about state management, but I presume there's more. Right. Uh, we have uh, state management. Uh, we have service invocation. Basically, uh, you, we can, we give you service discovery and routing, so you you can one component can call the other. We have pops up where you can do the message pops up integration, and we have um, uh, tracing distrib- uh, distributed tracing. So that your application don't even any instrumentation, right? Because that precise car is sitting on your calling chain. We can generate distributed traces with correct uh, correlation IDs automatically for you. Mm-hmm. And uh, this is, uh, architecture is uh, extensible. I mean, we have, I think, seven or eight uh, building blocks uh, at the moment. But you can certainly, because this is a, like a capability delivery engine, right? You can plug in new capabilities as it becomes uh, popular. So, so you're really about being an interface, not an implementation. Is that, is that, am I getting that right? Right. I mean, for us, basically, um, our opinion, so that's our abstraction, is that we observe some common things uh, the developer needs to do. So we define a, a set of very simple abstract interfaces. Uh, for instance, our key uh, store uh, is all based on key value pairs. You can't do like complex SQL queries on top of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we, we made some choices to see what's the typical usage. Then we define that minimum uh, API. Then we hide all the technical details, all the protocols, all the data format, et cetera. We handle all that for you. I mean, and there's other tools out there that approach this kind of idea. So I'm trying to figure all around for what's Dapper's secret sauce. Like you brought up the IoT scenario. I'm running it in the cloud, running it on a PC, running it on a Raspberry Pi. So is it have you has it been a lot of effort to make sure no matter what hardware you're running on, there are interfaces that will work? Well, the well, the the interface, I mean we we can't say if the interface is working or not, but we, we allow you to switch implementations mm-hmm. at any 
time, right? So you, you can do this statically, meaning uh, when you design an application, you, you can design what kind of a de- deployment profiles and what kind of services that support uh, that deployment profile. Mm-hmm. Or I think what makes it more interesting is to, to do the dynamic uh, bindings of the underlying infrastructure. Uh, let me give you a scenario, mm-hmm. right? In, in the scenario that we have a um, uh, uh, smart uh, street light. So the street light has a um, wheelchair detection module. So by default, it's using a cloud-based AI module to detect if there are wheelchairs on the crossway. Mm. Uh, if there are, it will prolong the green light so that the person has enough time to cross the street. Right. But when the when the network condition uh, changes, uh, if the bandwidth is limited, it will switch to a lower uh, a quality image, maybe a black and white, a lower resolution to the cloud. And if the uh, network is completely disconnected, it will switch to a local module. The local module, because of the power constraints, is less powerful. So it gives you less confident uh, detections but it gives you certain business continuity uh, by running it locally. Right. And that's that's always the challenge, right, is we get it working one way and then the environment changes. The connectivity goes down, different cameras are being used. The number of times I've talked to folks that were doing that fancy vision stuff and built everything around a particular kind of camera that then they can't buy anymore. And now they right. have to re-engineer. To try and create some abstractions to make it more tolerant of that, that's pretty valuable. And in the in this case, right, this, this scenario I, I described was actually quite confle- uh, complex if you want to do this properly. You need to monitor the network traffic. You need to ch- choose different service endpoints. You need to reroute the traffic. But with, with Dapper, right, um, theoretically, what you can do is to have your, your, your AI model binding to direct, uh, to dynamically bind to different, uh, ser- service providers and f- from your application's perspective, all the developer needs to say is that I need a wheelchair detection. One way or another, right? So this is a framework to allow me to build in that ability to to be able to, to come up with an inter, a, a, a concept of wheelchair detection and then be able to apply it in lots of different places. Right. There's two sides of it. On one mm-hmm. side, you, you can... Uh, hook into the Dever development community to build up new uh, capabilities. Right, right. On the other hand, we are hiding all those complexities so the consumer can just say, hey, give me that thing and I will use it. So I'm, I'm trying to figure out what, what this is written in and how you're uh, offering clients for Java, .NET Core, JavaScript, Go, Rust, Python, C++. So this is something that attaches as a sidecar Right. So you don't need a special SDK for that. But then the client, um, has, is, so I guess this is a REST based thing where you have a REST client that talks to things that way. How, how does it work exactly? Right. So the, the Dapper is written in Go. Uh, okay. this is a, pretty much because of the preference of Yarum. Yeah. Uh, Go's like, great. We love Go. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Uh, well, okay, it's kind of weird here that on the dynamic well, rocks. I, you know, no, it's not anti everything else. We <laughs> we love Go. Yeah, Go yeah. is a great language. Right. 
<laughs> yeah, and, so, yeah. and most .NET developers these days are programming in more than one thing. You know, even before they were, there was Go, there was SQL, for example. It's like, it's just not that unusual to work in multiple languages. Right. Right, right. Yeah. So, yeah, the, the, the uh, Dapper is written in Go, and um, we define Dapper as a sidecar mm -hmm. that exposes both uh, HTTP and the gRPC interface. Okay. Mm, this is where the user can can choose just to make gRPC or HTTP calls. Right. Uh, we do have uh, a few uh, SDKs, uh, like the Java SDK, the the .NET SDK. Uh, the the and we also have a wonderful uh, Python SDK that you can just plug into uh, Dapper blocks in the Jupyter Notebook, which is really awesome. Right. Uh, but the yeah, yeah, but the majority uh, goal of those SDKs is to facilitate uh, actor patterns, right? Um, we right. observe that the user wants to use actor model to write their application. It's usually helpful to give them those like a single uh, threaded abstract so they can work on that actor object instead sure. of a bunch of API calls. Yeah. And so when you say actor models, you're talking like ACA.net or do you have any, is there a particular reference actor framework you care about? It's very similar for, for ACA. It's a virtual actor model as well. Right. Yeah. Well, the actor model by itself as a, you know, as an algorithm or whatever is really well defined and easy to understand. And, uh, you know, I for one really love the idea. I just, you know, being in the .NET world and the, the Visual Studio and .NET Core and all those things, I I don't ha actually get an opportunity to develop anything like that. Maybe it's because I haven't developed anything at that scale before. But uh, I know about the actor model and the benefits of it, especially at scale. So this, uh, so I guess what what I'm asking you is. You, part of, you know, in the feature list, you have cross-platform virtual actors. So if, you're, if your application is not built using an actor model framework, do you still benefit from that feature? Like, what does that mean exactly, cross-platform virtual actors? Excellent. I'm, I'm so glad you asked that. Um, actually, that, that's one of the uniqueness of the type uh, actors. I mean, when you use like actor, actor or service fabric actor or other uh, audience actor framework, right? You, you are constrained to the language choice of that actor framework has made. Uh, basically, if you're written in the, let's say C sharp actor, you can only consume in the C sharp client. Right, right. But be because we use this that, uh, SACAR, um, uh, architecture, you can actually write your actor in any language and consume it from a different SDK. You, you can have your C sharp actors, then you you you, you can consume in your your uh, Python SDK, let's say. Mm -hmm. So we allow this cross um, language calls, and also we don't view uh, actor pattern as a separate uh, pattern for uh, distributed programming. Um, Essentially, we want to unify a few things. We want to unify stateless service, stateful service, actors, functions, mm -hmm. and eventually workflows. Yeah. We, we all see those as distributed computing. There's no reason to force the, con a, a developer has to choose. Yeah. I have to write this in the actor mode and I have to write this in the, in the, in the stateless service mode. Because what we've observed is that 
let's say if a, a developer decided to adopt actor pattern, right? Yeah. Then everything starts to look like actor to him. Yes. Then eventually you build this humongous system with all kinds of actors, which doesn't really work that well. Right. Yeah. So I, I, I gotta idea. admit, I'm I'm guilty of that as well. I find a new algorithm or technology or pattern, and you know, every everything is a, a nail. Right. <laughs> Gentlemen, I'm gonna interrupt for one moment for this very important message. This episode of .NET Rocks is brought to you by Text Control, the creator of the fully featured document editor library for .NET and Angular applications. Did you know their libraries also provide powerful PDF functionality? Instead of programming PDF documents, you can simply use Microsoft Word templates and merge them with data to create pixel-perfect PDF and PDF-A documents. You can easily add fillable form elements like form text boxes, checkbox fields, and drop-down elements to your PDF files. TX Text Control provides developers the complete solution to handle PDF documents in business processes. Try it free and see the live demos at textcontrol.com slash demos. And we're back. It's .NET Rocks. I'm Richard Campbell. That's Carl Franklin. And we're talking to Hashibai about Dapper and this idea that it's all about work, you know, sort of cloud adoption, being able to work in this very distributed environment, but you don't have to pick a particular development methodology. It doesn't matter serverless or stateless, uh, stateful stuff, the actor frameworks or actor models, you can use all of them. I mean, does it make sense? We were talking before the break about, hey, we're using actors on everything and it doesn't always make sense. But does does it make sense to mix them? Or could, I don't know if you have particular scenarios where like, that was really well done in, as an actor pattern. This is better done stateless. Right. Uh, actually, I can give you another example. Uh, mm -hmm. it, it, it's a typical like IoT scenario. Mm -hmm where we see a lot of people uh, use actors to abstract IoT devices, uh, which makes a lot of sense. Let's say you have a sensor temperature a temperature sensor, then you abstract that as a, a temperature sensor actor in your code, which makes perfect sense. But w one of the challenges that because the actor pattern, uh, it reinforced the uh, single-threaded access to the actor instances, when you try to do like a lot of uh, aggregations or cross-actor communications, it's very easy to form a, a sort of a bottleneck in your system because you have to basically sequentialize all those actor calls right. to, to do like a single um, um, aggregation. So what we allow you is to actually not, not only like you, you can have an actor and a, a stateless service in your Dapper solution, is that in you know Dapper solution you can treat a compute unit as an actor, or you can treat it as a stateless service, and you're foregoing uh, uh, you're you're foregoing the single threadness guarantee when you chose to use as a a stateless service. Mm -hmm. But it's the same piece. You you choose how you want to use it. Right. Yeah. Yeah, and I'm still debating whether my original thought on this is like, oh, great, this is a great brownfield tool, taking an existing app and trying to make it more distributed and so forth is even a good idea. Uh, or if it's better suited to building something new with that highly distributed mindset up, up front. We, we see in both ways. Yeah. We, we see 
Yeah, because Dapper is very low key, right? You can use Dapper in whatever way or to whatever extent you want to use it. So I can, we can totally see, uh, in the migration or, or lifting and shifting scenarios, we can totally see in the, um, um, uh, new development. And we also see usages in integration, uh, projects where you want to stitch different, uh, systems that are not designed to, to, with each other in mind. Right. And you can use Viper as the glue to glue them together. Uh, because we do support, um, um, concept called bindings. Um, in the old days, this is pretty much like base talk connection connector thing. Oh, my Basically, head hurts now. You had to, <laughs> you had to say the B word, man. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> but, but essentially, this binding concept is allows you to basically bind to any um, input or output components uh, you you can think of. Yeah. Actually, I, I want to take this opportunity to to shout out to to the wonderful Dapper community. I think the core team we write five to seven components ourselves, and now wow. the repository has like over thirty or something. It's all from the community. You know, it just clicked for me. It just clicked. I'm sorry, but, you know, sometimes I'm a little thick and, you know, we, we come from our, our, our world uh, that is what it is. But I think what I'm getting from you and from what you're saying about Dapper is that you have all these services that you're – these cloud services that might be in different places – and depending on which cloud you're running on, like Azure, AWS, Google, the, those might be different. So, for example, where you store your keys might be different on Google Cloud than it is on Azure, like the, the key vault, for example. Um, so, basically, what you're doing is you're abstracting all of these things like state, like, the, like uh, you know, rate limiting, like uh, all of these things that we would normally do in an application that scales. And you're, you're abstracting all of that out for us with this great series of interfaces that we can now, um, you know, implement where we need to, when we need to. And I think that's great. Am I wrong about that? No, no, you got it exactly right. I think in the last year, I think I forgot if it was Ignite or Butte, uh, Mark Rysonovich did this demo. Mm-hmm. We basically, we took the exact same application Without a modification, we deploy to Azure, we deploy to AWS, we deploy to Raspberry Pis, and all the environment binding is happening at the deployment time. Right. The developer even doesn't need to know about that. Right. Right. Yeah. And so yeah. it's really about multi-platform, isn't it? Um, multi-cloud. Multi-cloud, yeah. maybe not multi-platform. I don't want to say it's all about something. No, 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 it, but it, I mean, yeah. That, that, yeah, I got the point. Yeah, yeah, that's that's a huge thing. Yeah, I mean, uh, uh, I mean, what can we say? I mean, every problem can be solved with another layer of abstraction, <laughs> and this is, and then this is no exception. I mean, but you're sort of abstracting everything out and saying, "All right, well, if you do it this way, yes, you have another layer of abstraction to deal with, but you're ultimately flexible if you want to move from anywhere to anywhere." Right, right. Yeah. Yeah, I appreciate your sentiment around the various cloud options, but I also think the various edge options are important too. 
when we think about, I mean, IoT encompasses too many things. You know, not just a Raspberry Pi, but something completely headless or you know, just a sensor with a Wi-Fi connection up to cloud machines, tablets. Like, there's just such a diversity of clients now. Right. And I should mention that when you say Edge, you mean the Edge of the Internet, not Microsoft Edge as a browser. Yes, the yeah. Edge of the Internet. Yeah, yeah. The Although it is the, the Edge of the Internet being a browser, too. So yeah, this, yeah. I'm, I found the Dapper community here on Gitter and lots of buzz going on. So you've got a ton of contributors, like different people building parts for Dapper. Right. Yeah, the community has been wonderful. We, we can't ask for more. Yeah, it's huge and powerful like that's really a, a fun thing to uh to have folks jump on board it's always the best sign right when other folks are like the only thing this thing is missing is a thing i'm now going to build because i need it <laughs> yeah. yeah exactly yeah yeah actually at the early days of the project um for a certain period of time the team had this uh, github star fever <laughs> we are watching the github stars like all the time like by the minutes because well, you got we, lots we, of them <laughs> And we saw the, the in terms of growth, right? How we overshot a lot of the Kubernetes uh, projects. We were really excited. I mean, that went on for like at least a week before we just gave up to look at those. Yeah, how many thousands of stars before you're comfortable there, Hashi? Like well, uh, at the beginning, <laughs> we we really we weren't expecting a number. Yeah, we see. Yeah, let's see how much we can get. I remember this with TypeScript back in the day, right? That when TypeScript went out into the world and then all of these different groups started making add-ins for it and, and implementations against Eclipse and so forth. And it was a, almost, I think, a surprise to everyone. It's like, nope, this is a really good idea and we're all on board. So I think your community sort of validating you saying, no, no, this is a good idea. We're going to add to it. Right, right. So Haishi, we've got our Kubernetes cluster. We've got our bazillions of containers, however many there are. And obviously the, the memory per container, you know, is something that we have to watch. So how much does Dapper add to the memory footprint of a container? It's very minimal. Uh, I mean, we just did uh, a performance test uh, a while ago. I don't have the exact number on top of my head. But in terms of like a CPU usage, it's using like 0.1 CPU cores. And the, the memory, uh, I think the binary is about 40 max. Uh, and the overhead we add to the, like end-to-end, -end, when you do service invocation, right, it goes through two diaper sidecars. You go through the outbound uh, diaper sidecar and the inbound uh, diaper sidecar. Okay. I think with the, the latency we add, it's in the matter of a single uh, uh, millisecond. Wow. In that wow. Nice. Yeah. So overhead small, doesn't take up a lot of space. You're barely going to notice it's there. Right. And it doesn't matter what container technology you're using. I mean, we keep talking about Kubernetes, but I'm sure we could be using Service Fabric if we wanted to. Yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah. Now, um, how difficult is it going to be for the average Visual Studio user to implement this? Actually, um, we have a wonderful contributor uh, who wrote a Visual Studio Code plugin for Dapper. So you have this um, uh, smooth uh, scaffolding project experience and you have code samples. And I don't know if there's a syntax check, but you have a, a wonderful plugin to use in Visual Studio Code. Um, and I mean, the, the reason we chose the, the HTTP and GRBC protocol is that we believe 
for anyone who call himself or herself a distributed developer, that's the protocols that sure has to be known, right? <laughs> so yeah, and and from the feedbacks we got. We haven't heard any developers saying, "Oh, this this interface or this way of calling is too much or too difficult or too foreign for me." Nice. Yeah. Oh wow. Okay. Yeah, I found the plugin. So the, this is the way to go. What about regular Visual Studio besides Visual Studio Code? Um, I I don't know. There's anything for the Visual Studio yet. Uh, but well. There's an opportunity for the community to contribute. But there is a .NET Core client, though. Does that mean that that client goes onto your – is is the sidecar or is the the thing that controls the sidecar? Which .NET client are you talking about? Well, I'm I'm looking at github.com slash dapper slash dapper, and in the list of features uh, at the bottom, it says clients for Java – .NET Core, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, those are, those are SDKs. Right, so those are SDKs. So those are the things that you need to uh, control the sidecar or talk to the sidecar. Right, basically, instead of making HTTP or gRPC calls, right. you just call like objects in, the, in an SDK. Right, so you could use that in Visual Studio, but in terms of uh, putting the sidecar on your in, in your uh, .NET Core, let's say, you know, ASP.NET Core application, that's, uh, how would how would one go about doing that? Actually, for, for, for ASP.NET Core application, we have a tighter integration. We have a NuGet package that you can plug into your ASP.NET Core. Nice. And essentially, you can just uh, annotate your controllers to make it, as uh, Mark Rysinovich will say, uh, diaperize it. I love <laughs> annotations. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and it's actually it, it, it enables quite powerful scenarios. Yeah. For instance, if you have a, a like a .NET um, controller that takes a picture, let's say from website, right? Mm-hmm. The user can upload a picture from website. Right. But if you annotate that with diaper binding, so you can bind that to an event system. So all of a sudden, you can get the same picture from an event bus or some from from an email or from any other system that is supported by, by the binding uh, mechanism. Beautiful. Yeah. Exactly what I wanted to hear, my friend. This is great stuff. <laughs> awesome. So where are we getting started with this? What do we need to do first? So the the, the best thing, uh, best way to start with Dapper is just to go to Dapper.io or go to the GitHub repository. We have like ex- extensive samples, workthroughs. Um, we have a Dapper uh, uh, command line tool. Uh, to get started, all you need is to download that one binary. It's uh, executable. Then you just run a uh, Dapper init. It will guide you through to uh, to to the rest. And and then they're off and running. Are there? And I see fairly extensive documentation. But are there particular scenarios you should work th- through? Uh, yeah, we have uh, tutorials and uh, uh, sample scenarios. Is that what you're asking for? Yeah, you're. you're that's right. It's a, it, you know, it's people trying to figure out where they fit into this. You know, I think it's part of the challenge. Right. I guess you can take a different uh, approaches. Mm-hmm. Let's say for for, for, for the SP.NET Core uh, developer, maybe you just want to start with the NuGet package to, to annotate your controller and to see, to get the binding benefit. 
Or if you are migrating an existing uh, application, you can just identify the places where you can use Diaper to deliver those capabilities to you. And um, if you're writing a new application, you can just um, uh, use Diaper Sidecar. Let's say when you need uh, to to bind to a pop-up system, but let's say you don't want to learn the details of that pop-up system or you want your application can be rebind to a different uh, uh, messaging middleware, then you can just use Diaper to, to abstract that away. So I don't see the NuGet package listed in the repo. Is there a place where we can find that? Yeah, it's on NuGet as nuget.org slash profile slash dapper.io. And there are five packages. And of course, if you're in Visual Studio, you can just go to NuGet, you know, manage NuGet packages and search for, for Dapper, D-A-P-R. Everything in NuGet is marked as as pre-release. Is there a particular release candidate or final version coming soon, Ashi? Uh, the team is working hard towards uh, GA um, as mm-hmm. we speak, but at this point, we don't have like a firm, firm uh, timeline for that. Um, so we, we we are currently working on release zero point eleven. The, the idea is that after 11, the, all the API interfaces should be more or less stable. And then we just keep improving the quality towards GA. Um, I don't have a firm date, but it should be uh, not far, far away. Tell us about your book, Learning Dapper. Actually, that book was quite crazy. <laughs> <laughs> like all of us, <laughs> I'm sure. Right. Um, I think that was uh, a year ago. Um, already contacted me, uh, asked me if I have a book idea. Um, I said, yeah, I, I'm working on this type of thing. But at the moment, it was like 0.3, right? It was in a really early stage. I said, well, if you want it, we can write a book about it. Then they, they signed up. So that's, I, I think it's almost like unheard of, right? You're writing about a book on something that hasn't been released. We even didn't know that yeah. thing will be released at the end. Well, and quite a ways away too. I suspect you did had to do a bunch of real writes as each of these new versions came along. Oh yeah. I wrote the first three chapters like five <laughs> times probably. <laughs> I feel your pain. Yeah, no, I remember that well. But generally, it was Microsoft doing it to us, right? They change all the graphics just before releasing the product, and you got to redo right. every screenshot. Right. And even, even the name got changed many times. Initially, it was not called Dapper. It was called uh, Reactive. Oh, no. that That's got so many Reactive. connotations. Reactive. Hey. It was called Reactive which? Uh, Reactive instead of C. It spells a K. R e a k, R e a k t i right reactive. Yeah, that was was from Yaron. Uh, he's a big uh, a Kubernetes fan, so he names all the projects even with uh, mythical uh, mm-hmm. creatures or with some kind of a K thing in it. <laughs> he's got a K thing, <laughs> but yeah. Then we yeah. Then we talked to uh, Mark Rusnovich. Uh, he came up with a name called Actions, which is a combination of actors and functions. Oh. Hmm. Yeah. Actually, we were debating between actions or functors. Functors would be much better as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> I, mean, the K, of I love that. Functors. 
<laughs> but when I hear reactive, of course, I immediately think reactive extensions and re and that's yeah. a, that's a problem. When you say actions, then it's like, uh oh, there's GitHub actions. Like that's a problem. That's why I like functors. Well, and functors is a mathematical <laughs> concept too, but not with a K with a C. True. So it's right, like right. you know what naming stuff is hard. So instead, you stepped on it an is. ORM. That's better. No wait, <laughs> just make up something. Well, they did. Yeah, just it's, it's gonna pee in an ORM. His brain. I don't know. <sighs> yeah. Well, at least you you've defined it now, and it's clearly got some traction. So it's not a bad name, right? We can we can work right. with this. Yep. Well, That's the wisdom of marketing folks. Oh yeah. Well, hi she. This is good stuff. I um I really had my eyes were open during this uh, interview, and I hope that uh, our listeners were too. So thank you very much. Oh, thank you for having me. This is great fun. This is the first time I do something like this. This is wonderful. Well, I hope you'll come back. Excellent. When 1.0 comes along, for sure. Definitely. Oh, I look forward to that. Yeah. You bet. All right. Thanks again, and we'll see you next time on .NET Rocks. .NET Rocks is brought to you by Franklin's Net and produced by Plop Studios, a full-service audio, video, and post-production facility located physically in New London, Connecticut, and, of course, in the cloud. Online at pwop.com. Visit our website at dotnetrocks.com for RSS feeds, downloads, mobile apps, comments, and access to the full archives going back to show number one, recorded in September 2002. And make sure you check out our sponsors. They keep us in business. Now go write some code. See you next time. Got a band by the FCC. Yes, I'm a, a